0: We're here with Neil Stubbley, Head Groundsman at Wimbledon. This is going to be your 21st tournament here. Tell us a little bit about how you've come to be in a position here at one of the most prestigious sports clubs in the world.
1: Well, it all happened back in '95 for me. I was still at college doing my turf qualifications. And at the time there, my turf manager um, was good friends with Eddie Seward, who was the, the, the current head groundsman back then. Um, and he got me a placement. So they have we have three placements each year for college students. Um, so I, I done one in 95, not knowing that one of the guys was retiring. So, um, Eddie was sort of had in his, his plans that he would take one of the three students. And fortunately I was either the best of the, of the three or the worst of the three. I don't know. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I got here and, um, I've, I've progressed through the ranks ever since.
0: Wonderful. And how long have you been the head groundskeeper here?
1: Well, the my, my predecessor, Eddie, kind of uh, in 2011, said that he was going to retire. So we've done the recruitment in early 2011. Um, and we have a system here that whoever gets the job then has a, a, an 18-month handover. So you end up shadowing the head grounds for one championships. You then... Um, take the lead for the next championships and, and the, the outgoing head groundsman will then just shadow you just to make sure that, that you know what you're doing and then he leaves so that's an 18 month process um, but because I got the job I'd been here for sort of 17 tournaments beforehand that that handover period wasn't as ex- extensive as it needs to be um, so I kind of got the head groundsman designate job in uh, February 2011 and officially took over um, straight after the Olympics um, so for the 2012 championships I, I led that championships and in conjunction with Eddie we kind of done the Olympics as well and then from there I've kind of been in charge so this will be my third one on my own. So
0: so year round how many staff do you have working uh, on the courts here and then how does that change on the lead up to the championships and then throughout the tournament?
1: Well full time including myself we have uh, 16 full time members of on the ground staff that includes two irrigation engineers and two full-time mechanics. Um, I'm also charged with um, with the gardeners as well. So we have six full-time gardeners and they have their own head gardener who reports to me. Um, and then from April through till um, sort of October, we'll then add another 12 people, 13 people to the ground staff. Um, and then we take another three or four in, on for the championship. So for day one of the championships, for fully qualified gr- ground staff, we have, I think it's 33 um, and 12 gardeners and but I also get the court covers under my remit as well so I get another 192 of those so um, so year round I have a full team of 25 because we have another site down the road um, that, that's got grass courts as well that, um, that I manage um, so I go from about 25 full-time members of staff to about 240 for the championships
0: and obviously we couldn't talk about centre court without talking about Henman Hill or Murray Mound is that your responsibility as well?
1: Yep. So anything to do with soft landscaping anywhere on our forty-two acre site, um, it comes under my remit. So, so yeah, we have a guy that's um, responsible for all, all, all the Orangi Terraces. as we actually know it officially. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> so he's in charge of that and all of the sort of all um, sort of ornamental sort of grassed areas and stuff. Um, even the grass verges on the on the outside of our property, we we kind of we maintain as well.
0: So during the Murray final a couple of years ago when he won, I think it was about 17.3 million people tuned in to view. How does that sort of add any pressure, or does that add any pressure on you as a groundsman knowing that you've got such a massive global audience?
1: Uh, yes and no. I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to ignore it. Um, you know, I remember when I was on the tools here, I used to mark out centre number 1 and if you think to yourself on men's final morning that there could you know be anything up to sort of half a billion people watching you globally um then you kind of start to get the wobble so you just got to sort of look at it as 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 it is you know we we spend 365 days preparing for the championships um and by the time we get to day 1 we've done as much as we possibly can so um you know Normally, in, in going into the championships, we're always fully confident that the courts will survive everything. Um, and I, I think it's one of those things that you know, you, if you're if you're at the top venues around the world, you just have to accept, you know, that that you're in the front of house and and everybody kind of wants to know the ingredients of what's happened in the courts and how you've put in, what sort of year you've had and and everything else. So yeah, it's kind of after 21 tournaments, you kind of start to get used to it a little bit.
0: Okay, so obviously during the summer, very famous two weeks take place. We know that these courts are obviously in constant action. During the rest of the year, what sort of events take place? What sort of usage do these courts get? And how does that have an impact on the preparation ahead of the championships?
1: Well, we are essentially a private members club. So we have activity here 365 days of the year. Uh, the grass courts officially open the second weekend of May, um, to all of our members and we close the third week of September and in between that the, the members will start playing and as you will see today they are out playing on the grass today um, they're allowed to play on the on all of the courts apart from the two main stadium courts up until the Friday before the championships so the, the week leading up to it when all the players are in practicing our members will be out there playing with them as well So, um, and then two days after the championships we have to have courts ready for our members again um, and then we will go on through the rest of that season through July, August. We'll have quite a heavy schedule of, of tournaments and club play. Um, we have the, the UK National Seniors Tournament played here. We have the UK Under-15 Championships here. I play, all played on grass um, and that played on 22 of our 41 grass courts. Um, and then we have a lot of club Tournaments as well, and then outside of the grass court season, we then have um, American clay courts, acrylic courts, indoor centre for our members. So Mm -hmm. it's a it's a 365 day operation. I have staff in every single day of the year, um, just preparing playing services for members.
0: Mm -hmm. And just to follow on a little bit from that, uh, obviously the wheelchair tennis tournament takes place towards the end of the championship as well. What sort of impact does that have on the turf, and how, or do do you have to prepare anything differently?
1: No. uh, the, the reason why the the wheelchair tournaments held at, at the end of the tournament is because the as the as you go through the tournament, the courts become firmer and harder. So by the time we get to the wheelchair um, event, the courts are so hard that they actually it's, it's better for the player because they can actually move a little bit quicker um, and that, they won't cause anything to the damage damage to the courts just because they're so hard so you know we have 13 different events played here during the championships which a lot of people don't realize so um, i think it's best part of 657 matches that we get through and you know the wheelchair competition is just part of that
0: uh, let's talk a little bit about the preparation of the courts what goes into them ahead of the championships
1: well, they're all managed exactly the same. So one of the criteria that we get from the the ITF, which is the governing body, is that all, all the courts have to play within the same range. So our mowing regimes, our chemical controls, our, our seeds, our soils, it's it's pretty much the same across the board. There are slight tweaks where you get the microclimates for, say the stadium courts, but essentially every, every court is managed the same.
0: So all the courts may be treated the same, but obviously not all the courts are the same. Uh, I think it's we've had a number of tournaments here now with the roof on center court. How has that impacted uh, the turf care?
1: Well, I think this year might is going to be our seventh championships with the roof, so um, it it didn't have the biggest impact that we all thought it might have. Um, when we designed the roof, um, the actual southern end of the of the roof um, is actually lower than the old roof, so we actually get more sunlight on the court year round. Um, and as you'll see, the the roof itself is designed so we can park it all at the north end we then split it for the championship so it becomes half and half Um, but you'll find that actually when the roof's on and the, the air conditions on we can control the humidity and the temperature within the bowl which means that you know the grass is less stressed so you can actually get away with slightly more play under the roof than you can when it's a nice hot sunny day so so it hasn't really had a massive impact sort of positively or negatively to be fair
0: so obviously the game has evolved hugely from being uh, sort of a serve and volley game to now being much more fast-paced. How has that impacted the wear and tear on the courts and, and how have you had to sort of alter your strategy to cater to that?
1: Well, actually, back in the uh, the mid-90s, we actually looked at how we we could sort of better make our courts and make the grass, sort of the longevity of our courts, how how we could improve that. Um, so we embarked on looking at the best, best grasses, best cultivars, um, and then and, and how we manage that playing surface so because we're now we're we a 100% ryegrass, grass it's a tufted grass which means that we're not getting the the fibrous mat underneath the um, the court anymore like you would with a with a creeping grass so that's actually made the courts firmer which means that it isn't a serve and volley um, sort of game anymore and I think it just tied in with the fact that a lot of people were starting to play baseline tennis so I think it it kind of mirrored each other really we, we weren't looking to try and to to change the game, we were looking at um, best practice for turf management and it just so happens that the practice that we have now of of phrase mowing every year, it means that we can control the the po-annual, we can control the thatch level uh, which means that it just gives us a completely different uh, game.
0: Uh, Obviously you mentioned that there's a lot more wear and tear on the baselines in today's game. Have you ever considered Deso technology or a similar technology that would help with that wear and tear? Well,
1: because of our, our connection with the SCRI, we are continually looking at new developments across the board so a lot, a lot of the technologies that we use within tennis has been born in a different sport so we are constantly looking. For us at this stage, um, the DESO technology probably wouldn't help us purely because because our baselines wear out you're going to expose the fibres and, and then there's that potential risk of players slipping on that plastic on, behind the baseline.
0: So we've moved out to court 14 uh, it's still a little bit noisy, but certainly at this time of year, it's to be expected. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about where we are and uh, how these new courts have come to practice?
1: We're actually just on our court side on court 14. So this year will be its first time back in play for it was out for the 2014 championships. So we've essentially dug the courts up. We've built some rooms underneath. We've then put a, a concrete uh, slab back on top and then we've rebuilt the court uh, and it will be opened again this year for the championships.
0: So, in terms of the equipment that's required here, are there any restrictions or limitations such as uh, areas of access that require special pieces of equipment to be used?
1: Well, we try and keep the same, same equipment for everything. So, we try and find the smallest area that we have to get through, which is Centre Court. So, because Centre Court is nearly, nearly 100 years old, the actual access into Court isn't very big. So, all the bits of kit that we buy essentially has to fit through that door. And then we'll use it everywhere else so we are very much all compact stuff so everything is compact tractors um, it's it's all pieces of machinery that are within a meter width um, cutting for for phrase mowing and things like that so um, as much as we can go bigger on the outside courts we tend to just stick the same just because we we try to keep everything uniform
0: so in terms of kit do you have a personal favorite or a favorite piece of kit
1: I think there's probably a few bits of essential kit that, that that deliver what we do, but I think certainly for tennis courts at Wimbledon, I think the most uh, the biggest piece of technology that we've had in recent years is probably the Coro and, and phrase mowing because now we can literally. Determining our thatch control and our our power and control, so which is our two biggest um, problems here in tennis. You know, if you get too much thatch or too much perennia, then obviously it has a an effect on the playing characteristics of tennis court. So, for me, since we've had that, um, it, it's been a big game changer.
0: So, to keep ahead of the game, do you work alongside any turf care organisations or associations?
1: Yeah, we have a very close uh, working relationship with the uh, the STRI we have a series of programs that, that we undertake with them uh, all, all tennis related. Uh, I'm also quite heavily involved with the IOG. Uh, we do a, a grass court seminar here every other year in, in August and it's jointly run with between the IOG Um, and the LTA Um, so we we have a a lot of associations with them and uh, you know one of my big beliefs is I'm fortunate enough to work here and and end up being quite a high profile groundsman so I think it's it's always a good opportunity for us like today to get to get our message across to to the rest of the world how important good playing services are depending on what sport you're playing and um, you know and and the more that we can get ourselves out there and and just sort of and promote that then then the better it is and through the likes of the IOG and the STRI we can do that.
0: Can you talk to us a little more about the STRI trials?
1: Yeah we've pretty much been a close working relationship with them for the last 20-25 years and we'll look at all of the the different bits of makeup that go into a tennis court so we're we're constantly looking at uh, best practice for soil management, uh, are the you know are the clay soils that we're using? Are they the best ones for us? Uh, we're constantly looking at, uh, at seed technology and cultivars, um, different fertilisers, pesticides. Um, and they do all of our research for us independently and then for the championships they'll actually come in for the whole of the championships and they will actually monitor our grass courts, so they'll do grass counting every single day they'll do chlorophyll tests to see how much chlorophyll is in the courts every day and then after the championships we'll sit down with them we'll, we'll go through all that data and we'll just check to see whether what we're doing is best practice whether we need to tweak any ideas that we're doing whether there's improvements out there in the in the marketplace that we feel that we need to bring in uh, and 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 sort of things like that so we're constantly looking at uh, improving all the time even if we have a successful championships we still want to improve um, and, and, and with them you know they help us achieve that
0: So that's obviously had an impact on the seed suppliers that you're working with are you able just to talk us through a little bit about who you're working with and what you're using on the courts?
1: Sure Currently, we're using a three cultivar mix, which is a Melbourne, Venice, and, and uh, Madrid mix. Um, They're all from the Limagrain house. Um, we've been with Limergrain probably for about seven or eight years now, um, purely on the fact that, that the cultivars best for tennis, we find at the moment uh, I, I sit with those. Um, so we, we work closely with uh, the guys at Limagrain as well as the STRI. Um, we have a trial with our grass seeds where we're looking at probably 30 or 40 different ryegrass cultivars Constantly, every four years, they'll get retested, reprogrammed, uh, and then we'll whittle down to the top five of, of, of different cultivars that, that that work best for us. So, um, so it's it's constantly we're constantly looking at things like that.
0: Sure. You've obviously had a very long and illustrious career. Who would you say has been the biggest influence on you?
1: I'd say probably my predecessor, Eddie Seaward. Um, he had this philosophy of continually wanting to improve. And never sort of resting on his laurels, and he always had this, or uh, enthusiasm for for growing grass, and it's very infectious, and and it's kind of helped us along the way. And and I'd like to think now the way I work with the team now is pretty much how he was working. So it, it kind of in a way, you know, even though we have a successful championships, hopefully this year, at the end of it, we'll we'll still be looking to improve rather than just assuming that we're doing a good job. So I would definitely say Eddie Seaward.
0: So, throughout your career, looking at the industry as a whole, what are some of the the major changes that you've seen? And particularly looking at your time here at Wimbledon, what are some of the biggest changes that you've experienced?
1: I think one of the biggest changes that I've seen is that it's the industry has come a lot more professional. So, I think sport in general has become a lot more professional. If you look at players nowadays, that it's it's all about diets and and how they can get that extra one or two percent out of their performances. And I, I and I think that. The, the actual British groundsman's done exactly the same thing you know we probably are the most revered groundsman in the world now if you look at all the venues in the UK and how we deliver our playing services um, I think we're probably up there as you know as being as professional as we can as, as the sportsmen that, that play on our services And I think that's one of the things that I would say in the last 10 15 years is the quality of services that, that are produced in this country now are you know are second to none.
0: So you've been here a very long time you must have a favourite Wimbledon moment.
1: I have one every year and that's when the the tournament referee comes into centre court on at the end of the mixed doubles which is our last tournament and says that concludes that's the it. championships <laughs> for 2013 because I know it's finished and I know that we've got through it. So.
0: And so at home who looks after the grass and what do they use?
1: Uh, it's all down to me and I use a Hondry Rotary Mower. Um, the reason why I do the grass is purely because I spend my whole life now in meetings and, and doing other different projects now. So it's the only time I actually get my hands dirty and and get a chance to actually cut grass.